Hey, this is The Recapables. We're going to talk about the episode The Constant from the wonderful television show Lost. And that's because all week on TheRinger.com, we are celebrating the 100 best episodes of television of the 21st century. We're inching towards 20 years, so what better time to take stock? And man, has there been some good television. So check that out. Go to besttv.theringer.com to check out our full list. Go to theringer.com to read other pieces about all these episodes. And if you're just tuning into this one episode of The Recapables, go back. There's so much more for you. We also have a, a whole entire Westworld podcast called Westworld The Recapables. If you're catching up on that show, we just love television. I don't know how else to stress it. And man, do I love Lost. So let's get into it right now. Welcome to the Recapables. This is a very special episode. We are recapping The Constant from season four of Lost. It's the number one show on the Ringers list of the 100 best episodes of the 21st century. Congrats to Carlson Cuse, Damon Lindelof, and Jack Bender, whose name you surely know from Game of Thrones, to discuss this incredibly important, moving, slightly confusing, and generally important episode. I have Mr. Chris Ryan of The Watch. Brother. I can't even respond to that. And on the other line, David Shoemaker from the Mass Man Show and Recapitals Westworld. Juliet, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I just want to get it out there. I am a huge Lost stan. I love this show. It's incredibly important to me. And I just want to set some ground rules for how we're going to move forward because Lost is also a controversial show, which we'll dip into. But this whole project is about the best episodes. And to the Ringer staff, the constant is number one. And so therefore, this is um, really going to dig into what we saw and what made this one so special. And um, we will not veer too deep into the logistics and the physical properties of time travel. However, we will we will get there. So let's begin. Are you guys ready? Yes. Oh, yeah. See you in this lifetime, brothers. Um, this is a Desmond-focused episode. It is season four, episode five, February 8th, 2008. So the February date is important. This is season four, which means that this is the kind of the beginning of the end of Lost, if you recall. After the end of season three, which ended with the landmark episode, Through the Looking Glass. We have to go back. We have to go back. Jack, standing on the bridge with his broken down Jeep that he may have borrowed from Lorelai Gilmore, tells Kate, we have to go back. <laughs> and that just sort of set the tone for the whole show. And the last three seasons, they, the Carlson Cuse and Damon Lindelof, the showrunners, um, agreed to a 48-episode three-season run to end out the show, which they announced after that we have to go back, because that was a real game changer. So... When this episode came out, we were in the, it was the beginning of the end. There was still so much excitement around Lost, and it was an incredibly important show. Chris, did you watch this in real time, or did you catch up at one point? I watched this in real time. I think I caught up with season one on DVD, mm. but uh, Lost was event television. So like me and Andy on The Watch always talk about this idea of uh, television as this central conversation point for a lot of our adult lives. Yes. Like, especially um, the second half of, like, knowing Andy. It's like, TV is what we talk about. And Lost is the hallmark show for this era when I feel like in a lot of offices and a lot of schools and a lot of workplaces across America, this would be what you did. You'd go home and you would watch this, these, these five or six shows that were on at any given time. And then the next morning, the next few days would be dominated by talking and trying to unpack this. And you had this nascent online recap culture yes. and scholarship mm -hmm. going on about unpacking these episodes, you know, as quickly as you possibly could, but which now seems quaintly 
slow paced compared to you know, Doc Jensen would have had to have gotten his recaps up five seconds after yes. the episode ended now. But back then it was like you would wait for the Doc Jensen recap and you oh, would yeah. go on message boards and read about like all the different references and the biblical allegories and the classical literature allegories and the f- philosopher allegories that were in there. And it just, watching it again, man, it just really brought me back to that place where you would kind of design your week around these shows. Yes. Lost was absolutely event television. Shoemaker, did you watch it cur- current? Did you catch up? What was your Lost experience? And also, were you deep in the, the recap culture? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty deep. I, I would have had no idea how to track down, you know, the, the AOL message boards where, like, fans were discussing this stuff. But I definitely... Definitely, definitely towards the end of the show, I was reading every recap, you know, and just pouring over it, rereading it. Um, I think I probably missed, I wasn't catching up. I wasn't looking at DVDs and certainly not, you know, finding any other way to watch them online. I probably missed a few episodes in the first couple of seasons um, just because, you know, life intervened. But by season three, yeah, I was every single, every single uh, week watching it live and, and uh, pretty, pretty unhealthily obsessed with, with that. Yeah. <laughs> I caught up in the into the fall of 2008. So I watched one through four in a pretty condensed period. And mm-hmm. the show was like incredibly important to me. I graduated college in the year 2008 and I moved to San Francisco and my first group of friends and still one of my best friends, our social life was built around watching Lost together. It was like incredibly important and like in, in such a rich text, this episode included. Like there's so, there were, even this one, which is pretty low on the Easter egg, um, tally is still has quite a few of them. So in case you haven't watched this episode recently, the short explanation of what happens is Desmond realizes his consciousness is time traveling while he is going from the island to the freighter. The episode opens with um, him on the helicopter with Saeed and Frank, the pilot, who is a real cult hero. And it basically introduces a blueprint for how time travel and Lost works. It's something that Desmond was the vessel for beginning with his arc in season two and is clarified in this important episode. It's one of the reasons it's so important to Lost lore, but ultimately, it's an emotional episode in which Desmond is able to call his love Penny, Penelope Widmore, the daughter of the big bad of this show, Charles Widmore, who we also see, and, if that's not enough for you, Freighter's introduced, which had been um, referenced through the first four episodes of this season, and we get some important information from Daniel Faraday, who we're going to discuss much more, a little bit from Charlotte, a little bit from my personal favorite, Juliet Burke, and it's not because we share a name. And of course, the one and only Jack Shepard, who I was fully in the tank for, Team Jack, all the way, though I do like Sawyer very much. <laughs> <laughs> Jack and Juliet, great couple. Just absolutely love them. Uh, at the heart of this episode is the idea of being unstuck in time, mm-hmm. which sort of sums up Desmond's entire existence on this show and Easter egg Slaughterhouse Five quote from uh, Kurt Vonnegut. What's not in this episode? The numbers, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Did you even have to look at that? No, of course not. Absolutely not. In 2015, I was so excited on April 8th. I was like, wow, the day is here. For <laughs> April 8th, 2015, at 4 p.m. and tw- or 4 p.m. and 23 minutes. Is that like working that? next to you then? Yes, we we encou- we encouraged, we encou- experienced Lost Day together. Okay. Also not in this episode, um, the others... Ben and co the Dharma initiative in case you forgot Dharma is introduced in, in season two and it unfurls. It's still a little mysterious, but the others are because obviously Juliet is with the group is a big part of the show. There's no Kate and there's no Sawyer. There's no Hurley. It's really focused. Mm-hmm. It's really focused on, um, Saeed and Desmond pretty much They are, And then they get to the freighter 
and they encounter the one and only Fisher Stevens, mm-hmm. an incredible cameo, who Amazing. is Kaminsky, who is already- Minkowski. Minkowski, excuse yeah. me. Minkowski. Named after a physicist. Yes. This is a physicist episode. He's already encountering the perils of time travel, with consciousness time travel with the, with the nosebleeds, which ultimately Charlotte becomes one of the first people to die from that mm-hmm. a few episodes later. Should have said spoiler alert, but if you're listening to this, like, what's your problem? Yeah, you <laughs> jump in at season yeah. four and you're just like, you guys- <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> the episode was watched by 15 million people, in- including the plus seven, which was like a new stat in 2008. It's, it accounts for DVR viewings, and um, it was at, at almost immediately viewed as one of the best episodes of the show, which is hard to do because it was coming off of Through the Looking Glass, which was the season three finale like about six months earlier, eight months earlier at this point. Does everything that Lost is good at this does, episode? Yeah. Yes. So that gets into one of the questions I wanted to explore. Why do we choose this episode for the loss for the list over through the looking glass or the pilot or just, you know, there's some other good ones. Those are the two that I think people really point to as the best. Shoemaker, why do you think this was the right one to pick? I was going to ask you because I didn't officially vote on this list. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is the best. I, I just, I think there's, um, I mean, obvi- like no doubt in my mind. I think that um, looking glass is great. The pilot is great. I mean, I think that in so much as this one really speaks to um, the sort of nerdier half of my brain or more than half of my brain. Um, it was a little bit, you know, there, there was, I, I was before this episode, I really loved flashes before your eyes, which was like the previous yes. Desmond, like time travel one. Um, but I don't think I would have ranked that in the top three or anything. Um, but this is, I mean, it's just rewatching lost in 2018 is a, um, is a is is an amazing journey like and a lot a lot of the uh, i mean it's it's totally enthralling but a lot of what makes it so wild is that it's so much different than it, it than i remember it and i think it's both like a lot better and a lot worse than i remembered it in different ways um but you know there's a lot of the show that's just like uh, it's just sort of campy in a way that i didn't really register when i was watching it in real time there's a lot of it that feels like you know a soap opera with a really big travel budget. You know, I mean, there's sure. there, there's there's a lot of it that's not like you know, prestige has just evolved in such like in incredible ways since this show aired. Um, but what's really incredible about about this episode is that it just it holds up one hundred and ten percent. I mean, it, it is it's just a beautiful piece of TV. Chris is shaking his head. Chris, why do you vigorously agree? If you put this on tomorrow, it would still make sense. There's nothing dated about the performances or the writing or really the story because the story is quite literally timeless. And what Lost did so well for me, and I think that it was something that we all had to like learn its language. Yeah, you know, Television shows often teach you how to watch them. But what Lost is really shows you over the course of this really in retrospect, incredibly long run because yes. they were doing these, the first few seasons were 22, 23 episodes, mm-hmm. is that it teaches you how, you know, the hero of one story is just a supporting ca- character in another story. And these ideas you might have about, well, there's got to be one person who's the hero and then everybody else is supporting their hero's journey is actually shattered by this show because of its shifting perspectives right. and the way that it changes from it's a, it's a Jack story. It's a Sawyer story. It's a Kate story. It's a, and they on down the line to what would seem to be the most tertiary supporting characters. Right. And that is crystallized in Desmond and Penny's story. Right. Because as other people have noted throughout and like, there's so much lost scholarship out there, it's hard to be original in your observations, but we thought Desmond was 
Odysseus. You know, right. we thought he was the one looking for her and traveling across time and space to find her. Mm. And it turns out she's the one <laughs> who's looking for him. And it's this amazingly a sensitive and articulate way of actually getting to the emotional heart of what is a very classical story trope. Sure. This idea that like it's, it's yeah. as old as storytelling itself as you're looking for someone. But the idea that there's actually two sides of that search is gorgeous. And it was on ABC. I it's know. just like on TV. They gave it away for free. <laughs> I know. They gave it away for free. There's You guys both said so much that I want to follow up on. I think for starters, Shoemaker, you guys just really encapsulated why I think this is the absolute best episode. Shoemaker began by saying the nerdy side of his brain loves this one. It's still really fascinating to untangle. We talked about the fit, how there's like all these references to physicists. But on the other hand, Chris, like you just also, for, for me, why I love it is Desmond is the emotional center of this show and the kind of two sided feedback loop of of um odyssey between desmond and penny like really propelled propelled me forward as a viewer and so this episode perfectly weds i think the two tensions of loss mm -hmm. one is the emotional and one is the kind of the nerd culture and that is really baked into the structure of lost from the top down like um so, uh, like you like you mentioned there's so much lost scholarship out there and part of that in the lore that's developed since the show has ended and really since it began is that Damon Lindelof was really the steward of kind of the like the um, more nerd culture and kind of like the nitty gritty of the storyline and Carlton Cuse was brought in a, a few episodes after the pilot to be a little bit more of like the guider of the more mystical and so uh -huh. I think that this is an episode written by the two of them. And like we've seen on Game of Thrones, usually the best episodes are written by the co-show runners. And it, it most it most accurately represents like their DNA and their vision for this, the show. This was the all-star team. This is yes. Bender directing. It looks great. It's got so many great locations, even though I'm sure, you know, I think that the, I think Oxford, they just shot in Honolulu or yes, something. Yes, they did. It's but all shot in Hawaii. It's it's everybody at their best. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I think that we chose this episode ultimately, and one of the reasons I fought for the constant over through the looking glass and to be at the top of the list is that this episode, the constant, is like basically the mission statement for Lost. Like if you only saw one episode of this show and it was this one, you would understand what it's about. It's about like the power of, of science and sort of how um, engaging that can be, but how ultimately like there's an emotional center to every story that is told. It's also television made on a level that I don't know that even though we're making so much more TV today, I don't know that we are getting to that level anymore. Well, because like for both the economy of storytelling. So you think about Westworld episodes that are 75 minutes long and Lost is able to squeeze in everything you need to know about these people plus these huge emotional beats into like, I think a 42 minute episode that still has to write into commercial breaks, right? Yeah. So that whole Lost art of being really spare with, okay, how much time do we have? We have like six yeah. minutes. I got to get in and out of this scene. And still transmitting so much information, really complex information, and using all these different little ways, okay, let's show the mouse so that we can understand now what time <laughs> travel does. Right. That's such a brilliant illustration of something that basically you need to go to Oxford to even begin to understand. But they do it in such a way that it makes sense to the layman and to the scholar alike. And I think that that is actually a lost art in TV because TV now is so... It's got, there's so much content being made and there's so much money being spent on it that we're losing track of how to efficiently tell a story. Totally. And Shoemaker, you're kind of our, our Westworld expert, whether you want to be or not. Coming out of a season where you really like studied 10 episodes of Westworld and then kind of went back to this source material, I, I consider it source material. 
Yeah. What's jumped out to you the most about the differences in storytelling and to Chris's point, like the kind of the, the economy that showrunners are asked to maybe ignore these days? Yeah, I mean, the, the, from the showrunner point of view, I mean, I, I commented throughout this season of Westworld that on an intellectual level, this really grabbed me. From a viewer, you know, as a as a viewer, it perplexed me. But I thought that there was there there was this way that the showrunners themselves were the unreliable narrators of the show because they weren't, you know, they 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 weren't as they weren't running this as a traditional show. Whether or not they like would have had the skills to run an ABC sitcom, you know, who knows? But like. Uh, it, they part of it was that they just had all of this freedom, you know, and all this uh, all of this space to just pursue these ideas and to make the show as sort of wide lens and harebrained as possible. And and the way that Lost is like so precise uh, at its best, you I mean, you can really feel the difference. But I think that, for, that really what what sets this apart, you know, an episode like this apart from Westworld, really you could say it sets it apart from much of the rest of Lost is that. Um, it doesn't get bogged down in the tease. One of the things that we saw in Westworld this season was, you know, occasionally there'd be like the camera would pan past some books and that's just like, and, and everybody <laughs> went scrambling to amazon.com to figure out what books they had just seen. They, that's straight out of Lost, right? And yeah. part, of, part, of, part of the template that Lost set for all of these sort of, you know, wonderful prestige nerd shows that followed was that they felt totally fine throwing a book on the screen, giving a character the name of an old philosopher, whatever, and then not really making it matter to the degree that any that everybody wanted it to matter. Right. Um, because if, it if functions you just on both of, levels. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like basically just putting like your, putting like your Spotify playlist at the end of every episode. It's like, here are the things we were thinking about or that we kind of came up in conversation as we were writing this, but it's not... It's not not everything is an Easter egg on the level that we're used to things being Easter eggs. So yeah, so that's but, like a really good point because Lost really invented the or started the proliferation of Easter eggs. Yeah, in, mystery in, box t- storytelling. Yes, yeah. but they were just Easter eggs. Like it doesn't necessarily mean something. Like they take inspiration from the great physicists and the great philosophers, like John Locke and Dave, Daniel Ferret and uh, Des- D- David, David Hume. Hume. Yeah. Excuse yeah, yeah. me. And even Jeremy Bentham, who uh, John Locke becomes in the later seasons, but they don't they don't speak to a greater meaning of the show. And I, I think what you were just getting at, Shoemaker, is like in a lot of Westworld, there's there's like a lot of exposition and sort of there's um, a lot of travel as a means to explain what's going on. But mm-hmm. on this on the DVD commentary of this season for this episode, Lindelof says that they introduced the freighter very specifically and they had it be kind of like a crisis point because quote, you would have mindless exposition unless the characters were in a constant state of crisis. And that's like, I never really thought about that kind of constant state of crisis, but it certainly describes every episode of lost both flashbacks, flash sideways, flash forwards, all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's so true that Westworld actually lacks that, that ultimately we don't, the crises like come like once in a while, like an epic battle or something. But that is so true that Lost, because I think partially it was network television, was high octane all the time. And this episode is like relatively low octane, in fact. Yeah, but this episode has something very special that a lot, even doesn't always happen in Lost itself, which is... Um, Almost every character, with the exception of the deckhands on the freighter, are trying to help. Right. 
And that is why I think it remains such like a, a special episode for people who love the show was that everybody from Saeed, who's really great in this episode, like just an, in a, like a very supporting role, but like deeply, deeply empathetic with with a with a person who seems to be losing their mind. Yes. And down to Faraday, down to even Widmore for his own purposes still helps Desmond. Sure. In his own way. Mm-hmm. And everybody is kind of like, ushering him along on this journey to get back to Penny. And it's, I think that is part of why it's like, this is the one where it works out. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the one where everybody kind of pulls in the same direction and recognizes something greater than themselves. And I think that might be why it kind of has such a special place in people's memories. I think that's true. Also, it's crucially at a point in season four where you can still explain the whole show. Like, I think there's like a lot of information to have. But at this point, you can still explain everything and you can be like, oh, this traces back to this episode. It go, it does go off the rails in season five and five and six are just not as good. I think we all, we, we went off the rails too because yeah. I think b- rather than just experiencing loss, loss became something to be solved. Right. And I think yeah. that for a lot of people, that was always part of the allure. But it, when there was an end point and when I remember when Lost started to begin its descent to landing, it was like, how are they going to land it? Is it going to answer all these questions? And if Lost was able to answer the questions that it asked, we wouldn't need religion. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was always going to be a really difficult task for Lost to answer the questions that it was asking. It was answer, asking fundamental questions about humanity, about yeah. being alive. So I don't think I know. It, it was really, this is, you're right. This is like this perfect point where we spoke Lost, but we didn't figure Lost out We didn't out live yet. Lost. Yeah, and yeah. I also think it's worth noting that this uh, episode is largely driven by what at the time were relative to the uh, pilot and the first two seasons, basically, in a new cast. Yes. And uh, especially with Faraday, you know, you really start, this is a huge accomplishment to be like, there's all these people that you thought this show was about, and then there's literally like two and a half other groups of people that are going to almost replace these people or at least require the same amount of intellectual curiosity. That's a great point. I didn't really yeah. think about that. The only originals in this are, 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 are we barely get Jack and then Saeed. Yeah, Jack could be anybody in this. He's yeah. be like, oh, come on, Daniel. You gotta get, yeah. like, put him on speakerphone. You know, like, Jack, <laughs> is, Jack is the guy who is being told the horror story at the campfire. Like when, as the as the movie, like as the horror movie goes on to uh, like to show you like the real travesty that happened years before or whatever. It's so great. Yeah, his role his role is so insignificant. I know, it, it, and it's funny. Like I loved Jack at the time, and I loved his. I, I love Jack because of his flashbacks, basically. Not obviously not the flash forwards, but Jack on the island really sucked. Like <laughs> he got, he really did. Like he was a he was bitchy. He's the opposite of Sawyer. Island Sawyer is so much better than Island Jack, but real world Jack is so much better than real world Sawyer. Yeah. It was that's a real tough tension for me that that comes with time. Um, obviously, the Desmond and Penny relationship are at the, are at the center of this episode, but when. And the rewatch, who were you like, oh, you know, they were really the best part of this. Or like, they had a sneaky good performance. Shoemaker, you go first. I'm kind of all over the place on this one. I mean, I think that Desmond, in some ways, everything that I remembered him in, and we talked about this being a nerd, like, a, you know, like kind of a nerd service episode. Obviously, the the time travel stuff. I mean, the, 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 everything, the plot of it is, is, uh, is very geek centric. I will but- say, I went back and I read... Um, a bunch of like recaps and articles about the uh, this art this episode from 2008, and they all note that the time that time travel as outlined in this episode is not impossible, which I think another, <laughs> another reason why it's good. There, it's because it's yeah. not it's not happening, and like the, there are like many challenges to this. 
being possible, but it's not impossible. Whereas sure. as they go further, it's harder to achieve. It's, it's streamlined and it's in some ways sort of simplistic, but whenever you, whenever a new time travel movie comes out, I mean, part of the allure of it is no matter how high level the filmmaker is, is whether or not they're going to stick the landing with just the theory, right? I mean, just to see how they sort of tease the whole thing out. And Lost, which, you know, at times seemed very content to let some of these big ideas just sort of fade into the black smoke and not really get defined, not really get pinned down. They really, they really nailed it down in this episode. They really went all in and, and spent the time making sure that everything held up. And, and, it's, and, and part of that, I mean, you know, part of the, the effort that they went to just to make this episode coherent, um, you know, did an amazing job as far as storytelling. As far as uh, who was really great in this episode, I wanted just to point out that, I mean, the main, Faraday and and uh, and Desmond are the two, like, nerd icons of the entire show. <laughs> and F- Faraday obviously, like, just, like, came in and kind of claimed the throne for a season and a half or whatever, but... Desmond before that was sort of like, you know, the Indiana Jones, you know, just sort of he he is the he is the sort of alpha hero who the nerds fully adopted because of his backstory and his accent and everything else. And also the world already had Jack and Sawyer. So like we got we got him. Um, But yeah, it was it it was I mean, Desmond was Desmond on first the if if it's the first time that you've seen watch uh, lost in five years. Desmond is a little bit broad at first glance but then immediately you're just sucked right in he's such a good he's such a good actor uh, despite the wig he did a much better job in his flashback moments than than a lot of the other characters did at like making it feel like he was in a different mo- in a different you know period of his life so, uh, despite his mind going back and forth so note about that and I'm glad you brought this up. This is also a really cool episode because it's a slight inversion of the form. They're not really flashbacks because Desmond's consciousness Mm -hmm. is jumping, but for him, it is just one linear narrative that happens. It's not like he's remembering something. It's It's, happening at the same time. Yes, and it's not like the story is pausing to like show you what happened previously. And I think that's and that's one of the reasons why it's really cool is because it's it's taking. It's like almost a, a lost episode in disguise. It it takes a format that you're used to seeing visually, but the actual narrative that you're that's being sure. delivered is actually a little a little bit different. And, and that was a, an idea that the uh, the editor of the show, Mark Goldman, had mm. to just show the cut, like to just cut hard and not do any kind of effects to show yeah. that they were in different periods. It was like no, it it should feel like the same show, right? Because he's experiencing it as if it's the same life, right? And so I think for. Again, that's like a perfect marriage of like the nerd culture and the emotional mm-hmm. heart because you're going, yeah. you're experiencing these jumps with the character who's like afraid and confused, but at the same time, there's like all this like quantum physics to think about. Yeah, yeah we were. And, oh, go ahead. And let's be on, let's be honest. Just the, I mean, the flashback format that they set up was sort of breathtaking in season one, and but it becomes a crutch and it becomes a really easy. It, it's really easy to just to make to to fuck it up. You know, yeah. I mean, it, that's like, you know, three quarters of the story of the short stories that people write in like for in MFA programs <laughs> are, th- are that format because it's just like all it has to do is like you only have to move like 15 linear feet and everything else is just remembering a thing that happened you know, that my mom did to me when I was a kid. It's, you know, it, this episode was like you said, it was it was a different use of that format than we've than we got before or really after. But it was so coherent in the story it was so i mean it was just such a it, it, it just worked so well that that it it was actually i mean it, it was just stunning yeah it 
It's pretty cool. If I could just like revisit also what I was, I, I think I mentioned just a couple minutes ago how much I liked um, Naveen Andrews in this yeah. episode. Yeah. But, uh, it's also a testament to the serialized storytelling and also the investment you would make long-term in characters and plot and really what these kinds of shows at when you first saw them uh, did, which is that the Desmond Penny, it mirrors Nadia and and Saeed a little bit. Yeah. And it explains why, if it had been almost any other character on the show and they had seen Desmond basically have an out-of-body experience and lose it and black out while they're in the helicopter and try to get off the helicopter while it's flying, I think they would have been like, we got to strap this guy down. Yeah. But yeah. Saeed is the only one who is probably prone to believing Desmond because he too has been basically trying to find the love of his life. Right. He knows what mm -hmm. that feels like. Yeah, totally. And that is like, you can't do that in a six episode limited series. Right. You can only do that when you've told 50 episodes and that hits so much harder when you have those two people in the helicopter together. It's also a testament to like the power of an ensemble show because mm -hmm. you can... Mm -hmm go in and out of storylines. And it, it's, I, I think that kind of gets back to also the feat of loss that they did this on network television. Yeah. Because there was a lot more zigging and zagging, partially to create, to fill out the 22 episode order yeah. and whatnot. But it did also like, it just casts actors in a different light. It's mm -hmm. like, it's not like there's four characters and we're really invested in them. We're going to watch them for 10 episodes, take a break for two years or 18 months and then come back. But it's more like, this is a group of people, all of whom have jobs. And like, sometimes they're asked to show up more than they are on other days. And it's just a different view of a television actor. Mm -hmm. And it is, is really, you know, I, I think in the move towards limited series and just shorter runs, which lost also influence with the deal they struck. Um, you just view TV actors much more like movie actors and there's less, sure. less of a difference. And I, I mean, I'm such a huge fan of network television and ensemble dramas that I like, this is catnip for me. I, I love yeah. this stuff. Well, this, but, this show almost looks, it, it basically is the last stand of network television. Yes, it absolutely is. And Bill used to have this conversation. He had Carlson Cuse on his podcast for, right before the finale, I think. And it was like a great like 90 minute conversation. I've tuned out all the Red Sox stuff. Don't care. And they t and Bill talked to him about how Lost like deserved different categories at the, at the Emmys because mm -hmm. by the, by the end of its run it was going up against Game of Thrones and Homeland and like all of these um, all these shows that at the time felt so different and like holy shit like you can do this on TV like but Lost meanwhile I I don't know if Game of Thrones gets greenlit without Lost oh absolutely not. Jack Bender, you're not working on Game of Thrones that lost, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just a, it's a totally different model that, that doesn't really. It's exist like anymore. Led Zeppelin Four. It's one of those formative wow. things. Wow! But it's like one of those formative things that still plays today. It's right. like this is the turning point in television. In a lot of ways, you know, the episodes that come before this that are on our list are good, but a lot of them feel rather dated. Yeah. And this is the place where. Probably when we say peak TV, I think that in some ways, numerically, this was the peak interest in TV, right? Because you also had these people coming and watching Sopranos and Wire and, and, and these shows that were on HBO and some of the other premium cable channels. And Lost was this sort of last marker where anybody who could plug a TV into the wall could watch this when it was on yeah. and then talk about it. And it was available so readily. It's really, yeah. yeah. It's so true. It's a, it's a beautiful episode. What actually didn't hold up, though? Shoemaker, you mentioned the campiness. You want to dig into that a little bit more? Uh, well, I want to I want to amend my answer to the last one because I didn't get to finish it. The, uh, the best, oh, I mean, because this goes both ways. This goes because this cuts both ways. Um, for as far as who impressed me in this episode, 
number one, I mean, you know, it was, it was built around Desmond. There were a lot of good performances, but this episode, if it weren't, if anyone else were playing Penny Widmore, uh, besides Sonia Walger, this could have been one of the like campiest episodes of the show. And somehow with, I mean, you were just talking about like, you know, the ensemble cast and, you know, if, 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 with the usage rate that she had in this episode, if anyone else had been doing it, it could have been so bad. And she just had like five minutes on screen to make you really believe in the emotional stakes of a time travel story. And there are like many, you know, lead roles in movies that couldn't pull that off. Yeah, it, it, was, it, that, it was really impressive. Even That's when she point. says Desmond through the phone when he when she picks up finally, you're. Yeah. It's like that could have gone so bad, but like it is literally one of the like. Five or six feel good moments and t- best feel good moments. It's so in TV emotional. It's You're incredible. like, I can't believe she did it. I can't believe she picked the phone up. She did it. She remembered. I yeah. know you really buy into their love story. It's pretty amazing. She, I think your point about her usage rate is really a good one. She is like a, a part of so many of the most emotional moments. And season, the season three finale, which is probably the second best episode of Lost, she also like, just like the idea of Penny is like lords over the whole show. Charlie speaks to her on the satellite phone shortly before he drowns to death and he holds his hand up to the window that Desmond can see mm-hmm. in one of the Dharma stations and says, not not Penny's boat. And that actually kind of presages everything that we see in this episode, basically, and along with a couple others. And she does pack such a punch. Yeah. And a lot of that is a credit to Henry and Cusick. I mean, he, he really makes you believe in that love story, partially because you want to love his Scottish accent along with it. It's one, so good. One thing I don't think aged particularly well is Oxford Faraday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the wig... And also just, like, Davy seems to be, like, I'm going to turn up my mannerisms, like, five yes. or six degrees, and it's just too hot. It's just too much face-touching and and pointing into nowhere and, and mannerisms. But I personally, like, I just think Jeremy Davies was an amazing bolt of energy into this show, and yeah. it was so different than, like— you know, Matthew Fox looks like a, you know, a, dreamy a, a TV actor. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And Jeremy Davies was like this weirdo that like brought a completely different feeling into the show. Absolutely. He he did have a very different vibe. He also was understated on a pretty like bombastic television mm-hmm. show, which I really enjoyed. It's pretty weird to go back and watch the show with some of the information that you got from watching the rest. Like, it's weird that Faraday is half sibling to Penny. His father is Charles mm-hmm. Woodmore. Like that was yeah. kind of that's kind of like an unnecessary plot twist. Also weird that you didn't know at the time you we had met the character of Eloise, who is Faraday's yeah. mother, and I'm is glad we're going here. Yes, okay. yes, she was Faraday's mother, and also like lorded over the great pendulum of Los Angeles that helped the Oceanic Six get back to the island. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she also like, there was, you know, they had to meet her at like the street lamp and then like take a left. It was very like <laughs> Narnia. You know, that episode is called Through the Looking Glass for a reason. There's like this whole kind of like other world Narnia feeling to it. C.S. Lewis has a interesting ties to Lost. You could, or you could, you could read into them. But anyway, it was, it's weird that he named the mouse Eloise like after her, well, her mother, his mother. It's, it's, I mean, but even if you take that for granted, it's weird that he gave Desmond, he told Desmond to say, I know about Eloise because I don't care how many mice that are important to you in your life you have <laughs> named after your mom. If someone from the future comes and says, I know about Eloise, you're like, yeah, you know about my mom. What do you mean? Like, right. there's no, right. That, that was my only hang up on the whole show. There was a lot of like low key, 
you know, moments that in any other episode would have jumped out. You know, the cast of the of the freighter was like just a little bit corny, you know, or like I, I can't even think of anything. I mean, we, we we've mentioned a couple of wigs, but like th- this this episode did a good job of keeping my, you know, the my sarcastic brain uh, at bay. I think it, I think it, that's a good point. And I think part of it, again, is because like to Lindelof's word, Desmond's crisis is so severe and you're so everyone's so concerned about what's going on with him that there's no time like for the other questions of like, who are these freighter people? And like, how does this phone work? And where did Minkowski come from? I think that a lot of that has to do with tempo because I was rewatching this and I was looking at the, um, the runtime tick down Uh and I was like, wait a second. Does he not open the notebook in this episode? Because I was just like, I was like, when is when are we gonna when are we gonna go back to the beach? And he looks in his notebook and then finds out that Desmond is your constant. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this show, it doesn't really linger on those moments that fast. Like the Desmond Penny reunion on the phone comes. It's like they have like the really nice moment between Saeed and Desmond, and then it goes on. But it a lot of shows now basically uh they have a tendency to just like expand those moments and really linger on them and really build up to them. And they basically make up stuff to go around to catch, to, to prop those moments up. Yes. But this is just like, we're going full speed ahead through this tunnel. And when we get out the other side, there's another twist at the end of it. Right. There's so much coming. Also, the voices are not that loud. Like, Penny, like Desmond doesn't yell like, Penny! There's no, there's nothing like a streetcar named Desire in, in this. But the sound design is like noisy. And it adds this frenetic energy that I think is pretty uncommon on television these days. There's a, there's just also like a couple of other like uh, important texts that lead into this. Like we've mentioned um, through the looking glass quite a bit, but like in season three and flashes before your eyes there, that's the episode where we first really understand that Desmond can like, you think he can see the future because he saves um, Claire's life or he saves Charlie's life, excuse me from drowning. Yeah. And it's also like kind of amazing. I, I guess Thrones does this now, but you're required to, they expect that you'll easily or happily go back and check or just remember like all of these things that happened so long ago. And I, I think that one thing lost did, the one of the reasons I consider it so influential. And I think this gets no pun intended lost is that it required a really active viewership mm-hmm. and it was not like a passive television show. And I think that is a lot more common now and people like, look forward to it because it's a template that's been set. But was there a show before Lost that required its viewers to know so much or or ask them to, like, study so much? No. I mean, that like, the, you know, you could jokingly answer that, like, you know, Mr. Wizard or Reading Rainbow did that or something. But no, I don't think there <laughs> Maybe was Maybe Twin Peaks, but it wasn't, like, outside texts as much as it was under, like, decoding the symbolism of the show. Right. And I think a counter to that question is often, like, The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. But those were one-offs. Those were, like, thematically tied and, like, had really deep ideas. There wasn't, like, plot moments or like very small motifs that you were expected to connect over the course of years, right? Yeah, I feel like they, this was a show that was made by people who really loved the underlying subtext of of storytelling. So the fact that David Hume is a philosopher who believed that basically passion should trump reason. Right. And that they then named a character who against everything that science is telling him, believes that the power of his own love will reunite him with his, 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 the love of his life. That's like pretty amazing to like, just add that little layer of making his middle name, David. Yeah. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is. I mean, that is like what the show does. And then Michael Faraday was, uh, studied, you know, electromagnetism basically. And that's what Faraday is also studying. And 
it it gets back to the point we were making before where it's like small touches that are about influence but not about um, meaning which mm-hmm. I which and Lost created its own meaning and I, sure. I you know yeah Shoemaker, yeah. Shoemaker go ahead uh, well I mean I was just gonna say I, as far as like expecting something of the of the audience we should mention that like Twin Peaks did have like a book accompaniment when it came out right it had like the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer wasn't I never that back knew that. then and I, then I assume, and there were other example there were other examples of like the book. TV, I think there was like a Stephen King series that had like a book that came out without his byline before, and you had to like figure it out. Anyway, there were a lot of there were there were some examples of like that sort of crossover over the years, but nothing that like that openly referenced other style, you know, like previous writings to such a degree. But I think that what this episode especially does of Lost is, I mean, sort of that sort of symbolic of it. It expects a lot of the audience, you know. It doesn't it it doesn't feel the need to over explain a lot of the. A lot of the, what we, you know, learned about the concept of time travel on this show was, you know, shown instead of told. You know, it was it's it was part of it. It, it was it, it, it thought highly of the audience, I guess I should say. And, and that was um, as refreshing as anything else. It's really true. It bums me out that um, the seasons five and six and the lukewarm or negative reaction to that overshadow some of the feats of this show. Because I yeah, find it's, them- it's, it's tough because you I think that even within our office, we were discussing it. And even when we were like, I think you and I have both and, and Shoemaker, I'm sure have, have like kind of had like a little bit of a renaissance with this show recently yeah. by thinking about it so much. And you can still, there's a lot of scar tissue for people who are like, who are just like the end of that show negates anything else it did. And I just find that so maddening because, but that just also speaks to the way that television consumption has changed because when you watch like X number of episodes in a row and you just race through it, the ending is more important. But like when a television show is a weekly part of your life that you come back to, you all take a summer break together. It's like more of an experience. Like it's more of a journey. Mm -hmm. And I personally really preferred that mode of television. It's why I still watch Grey's Anatomy. It's why I'm like obsessed (laughs) with, it's why I'm obsessed with ER. I like the ensemble procedural. I like the ensemble drama, but like it just is a different type of relationship with television. And I think by the year 2011, when it ended, people were like, had a lot less patience for, a, a bad ending after like a time investment because there was so much more television and it was less, it was less like a hobby and more like a, like a relationship basically. And it, it's a bummer though, because this show accomplished so much and it just changed viewers expectation for a television show before lost. No one was like, do they know where they're going with this? Like, can they land the plane? Part of that also is because, because it was so ambitious and so different. Yes. Um, Lindelof and Cuse became like celebrities in their own right yes. and people wanted well, and, be- and because they were out there I mean for the latter yeah. seasons doing these after shows like explaining why they came to the decisions that in a lot of ways I think that opened the doors to the sort of you know authorial ownership of the viewer that that we see on Game of Thrones I mean I see it all the time in professional wrestling but it's definitely infiltrated all of prestige storytelling where people or fans who once you get invested to a certain degree you feel like um that you know you're they sort of something. owe you something yeah. and they and that and that your and that your ideas sort of are as are as good as those of the of the writing room. Yeah. I think in some ways Lost brought it on itself by like being yeah. so heady. But why would you not want to like rise to that challenge? Like if you love television, like how can you not enjoy the challenge of this show? And I think the reason why this episode even even still the reason why I I think it's the best episode is because if you were a Lost fanatic, if you've rewatched the series twice, if you study the show, or if you happen to just put this on on Hulu tomorrow without actually having seen Lost, yes, you would be disoriented. But the actual underlying fundamental plot of this episode is universal. 
it does not require lost a loss a degree in loss studies and mm-hmm. it actually just requires basic understanding of television mechanics and i think by the end of it you would be like that was remarkable yeah absolutely and that's that's something that we talk a lot about this in in a lot of the writing we did for the poll for the sorry for the ranking is the difference between a moment and an episode and the difference between the way an episode functions as its own distinct piece of storytelling versus this was a great chapter in a longer story that I was watching. And I think that the constant, maybe more so than who goes there, or through the looking glass, rather, uh, is is that unique standalone story that still has connective tissue, obviously, to this huge other epic tale. Right. It's almost a bottle episode. Yeah. Which, well, that was my... I yeah. wanted to ask you guys about that because, I mean, it is a bottle episode. The only... I mean, with, 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 with you know, you can you can quibble with the definition or whatever or, the, or some various cutaway scenes, but, like, was this the first big-time show? I mean, do you think that this... I, I don't know about history, but do you think this set the template going forward for prestige shows to have these moments, these these isolated episodes to sort of answer one big question and address one big emotional point. I mean, well, is, do you think this inspired what came after it? I think that the hatch, the the end of season one, did that almost more so because it was such a discre- it was such a distinctive cliffhanger in that way. In a way that I don't know, most cliffhangers were character based. Will they or won't they stay together or break up? Are or, they dead? Is Do this they get person married? dead? Yeah. yeah. Um, that was uh, the world that you thought you knew in this show is different. That's a great point. That's a good point. So they did it before Shoemaker, but I think you're right that Lost itself was the one. Lost and 24 were the shows that weaponized end of episode revelations. Right, which probably defined Breaking Bad. I think that show doesn't get referenced as much in this kind of conversation of, of like how it, what the effects of Lost. But I think to that question, to that in, in particular, it speaks to how Breaking Bad proceeded in the episode The Fly. It's pro- probably one of the best bottle episodes ever. And For it, sure. Yeah, it yeah. has like that emotional punch. I, that's, I don't know if that's the best Breaking Bad episode, but I think it might be like the most important for the show in some ways. Um, also like just is visually stunning the whole way it captures a lab. And the lab is almost like the hatch though, right? Mm-hmm. Or the hatch, mm-hmm. excuse me. I yeah. mean, they're these underground secret spaces that they have to keep going to keep the show functioning. Yeah, the it's dolls. Alive. You just keep, Digging deeper and deeper, you keep adding little layers, and you're 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 trying to get you know you're, you're sustaining an ecosystem while also trying to build towards this endpoint. Yeah, I think this conversation just gets to the point that like the last two seasons changed the conversation about loss, but until the constant, like probably through the end of season four, it was just such a different experience. There was nothing else like it on television, and that's why it was so galvanizing, and that's why people talked about it so much, and that's why they were so mad when they didn't like the ending. It's mm-hmm. Just a just a totally different experience. Uh, it would have been wild to have like podcast like po- for podcasts to be as popular as they were when Lost was on. I actually was oh, surprised yeah. that there was a Lost podcast like in two thousand eight. That it was like the official podcast of the show. That was also like very prescient. They just engaged with the internet and with fans in a way that didn't happen regularly oh. back then. Dude, I didn't like. I didn't realize that there was like a po- that, that episode. What was it? The, the 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 new man in charge or whatever. There was like a post finale episode of Lost that only appeared on DVDs and online. I didn't know that existed for like six years. Because like I was just not plugged into like, the online community the same way. It was a it was a pretty uh, different television experience back then that ushered in a, basically a new era. And I, I think it, I think uh, The Sopranos gets a lot of credit. I give it a lot of credit for like mm-hmm. bringing in prestige television. But Lost is really it had sort of a mini life cycle of of almost anything that's ever good on the internet, which yeah. is like there's this moment of pure not pure fandom and sort of slavish 
in a slavish way, but just kind of like everybody's very excited about this thing. The people who are making it are actually participating in the dialogue about the thing in a genuine and earnest way. And then that gets pretty corrupted. And then those people have to run away from the internet yeah. for a while, and everybody kind of looks back on it bitterly. But but for us, but not us three, yeah, we yeah. look back on it fondly. And if you too look back on it fondly, I've got some recommended recommended viewing for you. I suggest you check out the pilot. Obviously, um, the season one finale, and the season two premiere, really all the Desmond hits. Got to get through the, hit through the Looking Glass, the constant, and the variable. And I think that will give you the full spectrum. Of the, De- of the Desmond David Hume experience on Lost. Major spoiler alert, he and Penny sail off into the sunset together in happiness with their son, ultimately in season six, but it's kind of beside the point. Chris Ryan, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. <laughs> David Shoemaker, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank uh, you for having me. Go to besttv.theringer.com to check out the entire list. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back soon. <laughs> 